Welcome today and uh, welcome to the beginning of this new series uh, called Reconditioned. There's always a little bit of extra anticipation and excitement around a brand new series and all the, the things that go along with that. And so once again, my hope and prayer is that uh, our time over the next four weeks is a blessing to all of you here and online as well. A few months ago, um, our family finally bit the bullet and did what millions of Americans have done before us. You might just think we're slow. Uh, What we did is we tried out a Netflix subscription. So we still have Netflix, and honestly, as I just think about technology in general, it is amazing where home entertainment and movie technology has come from and where it has gone, where now you can with a click of a finger, watch a whole bunch of different TV shows on your time and when you want, or a whole bunch of different movies, and all it takes is a click of the finger. Now, when I was a kid, and let me just pause there, when you get to a certain age, when you start saying, when I was a kid, a lot, that begins to tell you that you are old. And I think and feel, I just... My voice just did something weird there. Um, (laughs) I think, uh, yeah. When I was a kid, it's something I've been saying more and more often, and I am getting old. But anyways, needless to say, when I was a kid, if you wanted to watch a movie at home, guess what you had to do? You had to get in your car, and you had to drive to the video rental store. Remember those? And then you'd have to bring home the movie, watch it, and then return it on time, right? And... That was just the way you did it. In fact, I remember like the first card I had a membership to of anything was my video rental store membership card that they would scan. I don't know if any of you remember the days where when they got to your account and you had a movie or two, you were just hoping that there was no late fees because, and there usually were, but you're hoping there are no late fees because those had to be paid off before you could actually rent the, the movie that you had. And the king of all video rental stores, the one that had the broadest selection and the most new releases, remember the walls, uh, the shelves, there would be like 50 of the same box, all the new releases, remember that? Anyway, um, when I was a kid. Um, the store that was the king, the one that I wished would come to the metropolis of Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, where I grew up, was Blockbuster Video. Now, if you are 20 years or older, is kind of what I'm guesstimating, I know that you know about Blockbuster. Less than 20, eh, flip a coin. You may or may not know about it. But at its height, Blockbuster had 60,000 employees and 9,000 stores across the country, which if you do the math, that averages out to about 180 stores per state in the United States. A huge, amazing, not monopoly, but uh, uh, the, the, the leader in video rental stores. Today, Blockbuster has about 50 stores left. Now, I did the hard math on that. That averages out to 50. One store per state on average is all that's left. What happened to Blockbuster? Now, 
I'm not naive to think that there's only one factor that contributed to the demise of Blockbuster. There's a bunch of stuff I did some reading on it the last couple weeks, and there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that led to Blockbuster no longer being around. But the one factor that is undeniable is that they were late to the game when it comes to how people watch movies. And whether it was just an inability or an unwillingness, they did not change. They did not develop. They were unwilling or unable to recondition their business model. It's, it's funny because back in the year 2000, I read that this little startup company called Netflix came to the execs and asked if they would like, at Blockbuster, if they'd like to team up with them, and they were laughed out of the building. And today, Netflix is worth $33 billion dollars. And Blockbuster has 50 stores left, averaging one per state. An unwillingness or an inability to change, develop, be reconditioned. Now, while developing and changing is important with business and business models, it is also really, really important with people. That if we feel ever in our life that we are there, that there's nothing more that could be done or improved in our life, we are in a bad place. If we think that our job is done, you know, we're at a certain age, now it's the young people. No, 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 no. We are constantly in need of developing, being reconditioned. It's part of what needs to happen as, as human beings. I think back to when I first became a pastor, So in our church body, you have to go to eight years of school after high school to become a pastor. That's a lot of developing over eight years of school, right? But if I would have been content as a fresh new seminarian that there was no more that I could learn, no more ways that I could improve, I would tell you I would not be anywhere near the person or the pastor in a positive way that I believe God has made me. But that's all because I have a willingness to learn, to read, to grow, to listen, to develop. Now, this is also really important, not just in your professional career, this is really important in your faith life, that we all are in need of spiritual development. And in fact, that's our first fill-in for today. I am in need of spiritual development. Now, I didn't write that in the sense of I, Ben, am in need of spiritual development. I wrote that so that when you read it, it would be talking about you. And in fact, because this is so paramount to you buying into this series, I'm going to have you say it with me. All right? Count of three. One, two, three. I am in need of spiritual development. Now, Because I am a guy, and I know how guys think, and if you're sitting next to your wife, you're thinking in your brain, like, she's in need of spiritual development, but I'm going to have the guy say it with me just so that you reiterate it on your heart, right? Fellas, one, two, three. I am in need of spiritual development. I hope you believe that. I hope you take that home. You're not finished. You're not done. And let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that I need to develop in some way to make God love me. Because God already does, even though we don't deserve it. This doesn't mean that we need to develop in order to have some sort of uh, extra special place in heaven. 
Christ won it for you. It has nothing to do with my development. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did for me. What this has to do is, here's what Jesus has done. Now what? How am I going to use my life? How am I going to use my hours? What am I going to do with the short amount of time I have on this earth? And am I in the place that I need to be in order to be the best child of God that I can be, not to earn his love, but because he already loved me? This development has to do with perspective. It has to do with purpose. It has to do with priorities. And I will tell you, that any time that a person wants to make a big change in their life, it's also not easy. It's not easy. Um, let's say you're someone who's disorganized, and it's actually causing you to be late for things or can't find things, and you know you should be more organized, but you're just not an organized person. All the wanting to be organized in the world is not going to help. And then when you try to be organized because you're not naturally that way, it can be really hard. Um, it's hard to make big changes. Uh, maybe one that's even harder, like if you're someone who's ultra-critical and judgmental, you know you shouldn't be that way. You know you don't give people the benefit of the doubt. Well, just stop. Stop it. Don't do it. It's hard to make big changes. Or how about discontentment? That's another one. I mean, the list is endless, but it's hard to make the changes, even when we know that we should make them, that we need to do to gain that spiritual development. Well, here's the good news, is that as we learn, as we have these things sort of put on our hearts over the next four weeks, God also has promised to join in with you and actually to give you the power and the strength not to get this absolutely right and perfect all the time, to change first a little bit, then maybe more. Now, at the very beginning of the service, I mentioned that how we're going to be looking at this topic of reconditioning is through the lens of conversations that Jesus had with one of his best friends on earth. His name was Peter. So Jesus had 12 close followers known as the 12 disciples. There was three of them that it would seem had an extra close relationship with Jesus. There were Peter, James, and John. Peter, a really, really close friend of Jesus, is someone that near the end of his life, after Jesus died, was this amazing stalwart leader in the early Christian church. Peter is part of the reason why Christianity spread from Israel to the ends of the earth, because of his leadership and his bravery. At the end of Peter's life, he had the choice to either stop talking about Jesus or be crucified just like Jesus was, and Peter chose to die. But before that Peter arose, there was this time of development that he needed to go through, much of it in the last few days before Jesus died. And those are the events that we're going to be looking at throughout the next four weeks. Now, in order for us to best understand today's conversation with Peter, we actually have to start a couple verses before the, the main section. And so in those verses before, Jesus is talking with his 12 disciples, and he singles out Peter, and he basically asks Peter in sort of a way of public testimony, who do you say that I am, Peter? Basically, what do you believe is true about me? 
And there could have been a lot of responses. You know, you're a great teacher. You are um, a good developer of people. You know, we're talking about development. But those, those were not the answers that Peter gave. Instead, here's the answer that Peter gave. Simon Peter, he had two names, answered, here's who you are. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, some of you might think that Christ was Jesus' last name. It's not his last name. People didn't have last names back then. What Christ is is a title. And when Peter uses it to describe who Jesus is, it's really informative of exactly what Peter was saying. He's not just saying, Jesus, you are the son of God. He is saying, Jesus, you are, Christ means the chosen one, the anointed one. This word Christ right away would signify that Peter is saying, you, Jesus, are the guy that was promised by God to come and to pay for the sins of the world. In Peter's response, we see a faith in him that Jesus was the Savior of the world. I just want to be clear with that because we're going to come back to something else that he says later. Peter has faith in Jesus. Verse 17, we see that too by Jesus' reply. (laughs) Blessed are you. (laughs) Good answer, Peter. That's what I was hoping for. That's what I was looking for. This is a good thing, Simon, the other name for Peter, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. We see Peter's faith, and Jesus commends him for that faith. This moment, I don't know about you, but if I were Peter, this would be like one of those days that I would never forget, that the one I believed is the Savior of the world looks at me and says, great job, blessed are you. As my mom would say, it was a mountaintop day for Peter on that day. We continue. So from that time, meaning after that conversation with Peter, Jesus then began to explain to his disciples what's going to happen, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. In essence, the Jewish leaders were going to make Jesus suffer. We think of especially that last week of Jesus' life in the last couple days, and that he would be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, if you were guessing based on Peter's confession in the verse just a few verses earlier, how Peter would respond to what Jesus has to say about the things that were going to happen next, I just want you to think about how would you feel being Jesus' close friend? I think, and follower, I think you'd probably have some questions Um, you'd have some sadness, you'd have some fear, but but you believe that Jesus is the Savior, so, um, you know, and kind of, you just kind of assume this is the way things are going to be, right? What you wouldn't expect is the way that Peter replied. Here's how Peter replied. (laughs) Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. The image that continually comes up for me this week in this verse and that phrase is of a parent who's in a public place and their child needs some disciplining, but they're not going to do it in front of everybody. So they either grab their hand or their shoulder and, you know, that child's like, ouch, 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 you know, whatever, even though you're not really holding on that hard. You're just pulling them along, right? 
and then you scold them, you discipline them. Now, Peter didn't take Jesus by the shoulder and pull him aside, but he did ask him aside and scolded Jesus. He rebuked Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. I mean, Jesus, quit talking about this death stuff. I mean, you're always such a downer. This is such a great day. You called me blessed and, you know, all that stuff, and now you're talking about dying? Never, Lord. Now, wait a second, guys. Didn't Peter just say, you are the Christ? (laughs) Didn't Peter just admit that he knew Jesus needed to suffer and die? Not so fast. You and I actually know more about how our salvation was completed than Peter knew in that moment. We have the benefit of looking at the rest of the New Testament, having the commentary of Paul and even Peter later in his life about things, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's accounts of everything. Peter was in the middle of it, and while Jesus gave him little hints about things even before that time about what was going to happen, he didn't have the whole picture figured out. So here's what I want you to know, that Peter's stopping of Jesus wasn't that he had gone out of faith and all of a sudden didn't want Jesus to accomplish his salvation. Here's what was going on, that as Peter believed that Jesus was the Savior, who would do what? Win a victory over sin, that Peter's perspective on what that victory would look like was very different than what Jesus was talking That when you think of victory, you think of parades and accolades and power and glory and fame. And Peter, who just hooked his wagon to Jesus by faith, it was real faith, Jesus called him blessed, in the midst of that real faith, also in his mind, had a perspective on how this was going to play out. And that if Jesus is going to be victorious and famous and prestigious, Peter's mind, Guess what's going to happen for his followers? That this victory over sin that's going to bring me eternal riches is also going to be a victory for this life that, hmm, I'm one of Jesus' closest three friends, so I'm going to have a great life too. This is going to be awesome. And then Jesus, a couple days later, says, hey, just want you to know I'm going to die and suffer and it's going to be horrible. And he's like, what? I mean, here's where I thought my life was going and all of a sudden, er, breaks on and here's where... God is going. Here's how I envisioned my life, Peter was thinking. Here's where Jesus is saying things are going, and it's going to get rough before it gets better. And Peter gets mad. He even rebukes Jesus. Now, the cool thing about the Bible is that it never relates to things you would owe. I'm totally being sarcastic. I got no expression. So either you're not listening or you're just like, yeah, the Bible never relates to us. I don't know. Um, The Bible absolutely relates to us. And you've been there. You've been where Peter's been. Um, A few years ago, Carrie and I had a chance. uh, My parents live in Florida, Orlando, and we were going to go to St. Pete's Beach for two days and one night. 
And the way that things go, you know, with Carrie and I is, and probably for you too, like the, the sooner you get the vacation planned, the better because there's that anticipation, which a lot of times is better than actually going. So um, <laughs> we had that anticipation going for months. And we had, you know, the, the place we we're going to stay all picked out. And the thing about it as we looked at uh, the website is that uh, Carrie's favorite, it had hammocks. I don't know why she loves hammocks so much, but every place we go, hammocks, right? That's, that's, what, that's what she likes. And so they had that. They had a beach. It was Florida. I mean, great, right? The, the website for St. Peach Beats says, great place, something like that. And then it says, 360 days a year of sunshine. That sounds pretty promising, right? And so we went. And I have never seen rain that hard where you're trying to drive your car and you have to like stop because it's raining it's going this way and that way and just guess how long it rained for two days and one night like the entire time we saw the hammocks they were there we did not lay in them because it was raining too hard we saw the beach we spent like five minutes there. Guess what we really ended up happening is we went shopping while it rained, which was, yeah, that was what I was hoping for, you know, type of thing. <laughs> I guarantee you that if Jesus was there, I probably would have pulled him aside and rebuked him because I was already doing it in my heart. Lord, <laughs> you're the God who can do anything. Send this storm to Cuba or something, you know? I mean, just get it out of here. And I can't speak for Carrie, but for me, I was frustrated. I mean, I had actually been praying about this. You can do miracles, Lord. Here's what the forecast says, but just blow or something and move the you know, storm, and it didn't happen. Now, two days and a night. In the grand scheme, who cares? But that's indicative, I think, of some much more serious situations that you've been in where you felt the same way, where you had everything planned out, you have everything envisioned for how your married life would go or how this job would go or how the family would act, and then all of a sudden, and God's plan is this way, the reality is this way, (laughs) and your plan's over here somewhere. And in those moments... I doubt that we're much different than Peter at times. Or if Jesus was there, he'd be like, Lord, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Don't you understand how I'm feeling? Now, how did Jesus respond to Peter? (laughs) I'll give you a preview. Pretty harshly, he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. This word translated in the Greek means Satan. (laughs) The guy he called blessed. Few days before, he's calling the devil. A few days later, you are a stumbling block to me. So you maybe have heard these words for a whole lot of years or a long time and don't understand what Jesus, why is Jesus calling Peter Satan? Here's why. Peter's goal in that moment was to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem, which would stop the salvation of the world from being paid. What is devil's goal at the same time? 
to stop the salvation of the world from being paid. So even though Peter and the devil had different motives, and Peter had faith, and the devil obviously is not, you know, saved, even though their motives are different, their, well, actions were the same, trying to stop Jesus from accomplishing our salvation. Now, your disgruntlement, my disgruntlement with God for whatever it is, um, whether it be a relationship or a family member being called home soon or a job situation or a sickness or even just rain when it's supposed to not be raining, our disgruntlement might not be stopping Jesus from accomplishing our salvation like Peter. But even so, God through Jesus makes one other thing clear. He does not appreciate when we get all upset with him about the reality of our life. When we get so crabby with him about where we're at, but instead, here's what he wants us to do. (laughs) To embrace the life that he's given you as best as you can. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have goals. That doesn't mean that you don't aspire to certain things. It doesn't mean that you can't better your life. That, that's all fine. That's all good. But I'm telling you, that's secondary. Primary is in the midst of that to appreciate God's plan for your life right now. That in the midst of the going forward or the, all of that, to be content with where the plan is going. Here's the thing that Jesus wanted Peter to realize, our next villain, that my life is about him, not me. My life is about him and his plans, not me. And so I need to, theme of our sermon, evacuate as primary importance my plans. (laughs) I didn't say get rid of them altogether. Primary importance, evacuate my plans Put his plans, which will be carried out in your life, whether you like it or not, put those first, and then work on your plans. But recognize his plans are always better. My life ultimately is about him and not about me. Now, after Jesus gets done talking with Satan, I mean Peter, (laughs) um, he turns to the rest of the group and has just a little bit of teaching for them. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he's going to need to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So Peter, you're upset because your life isn't going the way that you thought it would go, and you thought all this glory would happen, and now it's actually going to be more difficult. Peter, I'm going to amp that up a little bit, that in fact, if you want to be my follower, your life is actually going to be worse in some ways, than if you didn't follow me. Well, I, thought, I thought it was better to be a Christian. It is. But along the way, making godly decisions and godly priorities, putting him first, will cost you something sometimes. In school, it might cost you popularity because everyone else is doing this, and God would have me do this. In your career, it might cost you advancement. Maybe, maybe not, but it might. Because I could do this and be all about the career and all about the money or whatever, or I could do this and still go for advancement, and still, but, but yet I could be more balanced over here. It's this constant recognition of 
that sometimes, sometimes being a Christian is a harder way. They, they say it this way, I need to deny myself. The, the idea behind that word is the same feeling you have when you say no to dessert after dinner. Because your heart is saying yes, but you, your mind is saying probably shouldn't. And so when you say no to dessert, which I don't do that often, but when I have, that's denying myself. I'm denying what maybe my first inclination is for something that is better. In this case, following Jesus. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Um, if, if a person makes their entire life about this life devoid of God, at the end of their life, they're going to have nothing. Because it is only God through Christ that will give us that which lasts forever. That's what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus sets up these two questions that just, I think, are hopefully going to put everything into perspective for you today. And then we'll get back to what are we supposed to do. First question, what good will it be for a man, a person, if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? So here's what I want you to do. Here's what Jesus wanted the people to do in essence. I want you to mentally make your list. (laughs) What list? The list of the things that you need in order to be happy. Okay, so it's, uh, you know, um, this neighborhood or this cabin near the lake or um, these amount of pounds off or this amount of hair back or, you know, this loved one back, you know, back from heaven in my life again or this relationship. Whatever your list is, get the list, all right? The happy list, okay? Now, what Jesus is saying is, if you had a choice between the list and your soul, and you had to give one or keep one, would you give your soul in order to have the list? All right, so the list, um, 40 years, 60 years, 80 years, maybe enjoyment of 100 years, but not if you're a bloomer because no one in my family has lasted that long, so probably not me, Um, or eternity. I'll let you ponder that. Next section of this verse. Or what can a person give in exchange for his soul? So now Jesus is kind of having you look at the end of your life back. And you've got your list. And now he's saying, okay, so how much of it would you give back in order to keep eternity or your soul? Like, is that a question? Like, all of it? All of it? (laughs) And in that moment, what Jesus is trying to do is to gain some perspective for those people, for Peter, and for us. It's maybe something that you didn't really, you maybe realized it, but hadn't internalized it. That if your answer is eternity to both of those questions, here's what's true about you. You value your soul more than your stuff. You value your eternity more than your happiness list. Here's the thing. So did Jesus. 
so did Jesus. And so he came to this earth to take care of your soul. And it wasn't about your happiness list. He came to this earth, and he could have, you know, at this moment that Peter rebuked him, as they were just starting that march to Jerusalem, he could have said, hey, Peter, blessed. (laughs) Great idea. Let's go this way. But he chose your soul over his happiness. Our next fill-in, and when he chose the cross, he chose you. In the midst of your unhappiness or your discontentment or whatever, you know, this plan, God's plan, sometimes we rebuke God and we get frustrated about whether he cares or loves or is there. I want to remind you, your proof is that when he chose the cross, what he was doing was choosing you over his happiness, his health, (laughs) over himself. So reconditioning here. What do we do with this? Jesus has the answer for us in our section. But before we get to the answer... I just want to point out that there are times in all of our lives, and maybe some of you are struggling with this right now, where you have come to see that at least in the moment, your primary plan for your life is not God's primary plan for your life, and it's driving you crazy. It's relational, it's material, it's whatever it is. It's job, and it's driving you crazy. And, and your entire, I guess, thought process is how to convince God that your plan should be his plan for your life. And it's driving you crazy. It's as if God isn't listening. My question is this. Are you going to let your plan ruin your joy in the present when God is carrying out a better one right now in your life? And sometimes we may not even understand why it's better because hard things happen. But Jesus chose you when he chose the cross and he's doing something in you. This is his plan. So we can either (laughs) embrace it or rebuke him. Here's another way that Jesus says it. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take his cross, and follow. Follow. That's what God wants us to do. With our life, with our purposes, with our perspective, the best thing we can do on a day-to-day basis is to pray about our goals, but just follow. Pray about our thoughts, but just follow. And and I want you to know you have a good God to follow. (laughs) Because it matters who you follow. About eight years ago or so, um, we uh, took a group over to Israel from Bethlehem um, to sort of tour the Holy Land, and we spent one night in Jordan, the country. And Israel, great place, felt safe. Jordan, 
not so great, didn't feel as safe. I think it had something to do with more machine guns there than uh, in Israel, something like that and, and other things. But the night that we stayed in, in Jordan, um, we were with uh, other churches and a group of pastors that I knew pretty well, three other guys about my age. And they had this idea that if I was by myself, I would have never thought of nor done. Their idea was, since we're in Jordan, let's, you know, four white guys, go down to the city mall and just kind of hang out and check it out and check out the culture and all that kind of stuff. But checking out culture is great, but I certainly didn't feel that comfortable with it. (laughs) Never would have done it on my own. Um, But in the moment, I was feeling like if I didn't say yes, they'd probably pull my man card and I'd never hear the end of it. So, all right, let's go. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Let's do it. So they called the cab. The cab shows up. It's like just this unmarked car, okay? Long before the days of Uber, okay? It's just a car. The guy doesn't speak hardly any English. And we get in the car, which is obvious, right? I mean, we're in Jordan. We get in the car, and instead of going into town where I thought the mall was, we go out of town in some, like, country roads. And I didn't want to be there in the first place. And now I'm, you know, kind of following because I'm in the car, following the lead of this guy who's taking me, I don't know where. I'm thinking, like, Hostage situation, you know, ransom, no one, we don't, Carrie doesn't have that much money to pay for me, probably she'd want to keep it anyway, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And long story short, it was a horrible trip. Good part of it is that we got there safe and sound, got, long story short, got back safe and sound. But my point is this, if you're following someone that you don't trust, well, then it's a bad trip. If you don't know him or how he cares about you or she cares about you, then there's reason to be gripping on to your plan and your way because the guy who's leading you might not be taking you in the right direction. And it is totally not the case with God. The cross is your proof. He loves you, cares about you. Trust him. Trust him. Our last fill-in. Jesus, in our first week, is reconditioning us to follow, to follow him instead of following self, to follow him instead of following self. And I want to reiterate, this does not mean all of a sudden you have to get rid of your goals and get rid of your aspirations. That is not what I'm saying. I am saying those are secondary to God's plan, and we find joy in the moment even as we see how God carries out his plan, which is better than mine. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for these conversations you had with Peter 2,000 years ago that hit home so closely 2,000 years later. I ask you to forgive me for the times that I've rebuked you in my heart for your plans and your ways, and I ask you to help me to find joy and contentment and happiness and purpose in the path that you would have me walk that is being carried out as we speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we have an opportunity to uh, give back to God, who's given us everything. And uh, our ushers are being gathering those offerings. If you're a guest with us, please understand that this is purely done out of uh, a free will response, and uh, your participation in the offering is certainly not required. At the same time, if you could take a moment, though, to fill out one of those black connection books, it would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. <laughs>